Listen to this story. We were with friends at an open-air street fair when we spotted a mechanical bull that tries to buck people off. The guy operating the bull said, watching isn't nearly as much fun as riding. So I told the bull operator that I wanted to ride. He took one look at my middle-aged body and asked, are you sure? Well, that guaranteed that I wasn't going to back down. He explained to me that the bull has 12 levels of difficulty. It might not be easy, he said, but the key is you have to stay centered on the bull. You have to follow the bull. You have to shift your center of gravity as the bull moves. So I got on the bull, and it started slow, and then started moving faster and jostling around, and I was, I was holding on really tight. Then I remembered his advice, so I loosened up. And it kept moving faster and jolting and bucking and jumping. I was hanging on sideways. My arms were flailing around all over the place. I just hung on. And finally, the bull slowed down, and it stopped. And I was still on the bull. It wasn't pretty, but I made it. I imagined how surprised the operator of the bull would be that I had triumphed over the bull. So I looked over at him, and he looked at me. Shaking his head, he smiled and said, Nice job. That was level one. <laughs> the title of today's message is The Perils of Pride. And this morning we're continuing our series called The Teacher Who Changed the World. And today we're going to focus on what Jesus taught about pride and humility. And I want to begin with a story that Jesus told. This is in Luke chapter 18. If you're using one of the Bibles that we've provided, that's going to be on page 851. Now Jesus often used stories in his teaching. And one of the benefits of storytelling is that people have the opportunity to identify with the characters in the story. And that's certainly true in this story that Jesus told. And so here is how it begins. This is in Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. You can almost hear the guy patting himself on the back as he prays. But the tax collector, this guy who's despised by his own countrymen, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The topic of pride and humility is a very prominent theme in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And here's my summary of what the Bible says. Pride bad, humility good. Now, I'm going to expand on that a little bit because I want us to look at this. I want us to look at the dangers of pride the benefits of humility, and then address this question. Okay, if I want to be a more humble person, how does that work? How is that possible? So let's begin with the first question. What are some of the dangers of pride? And here's the first. Pride puts you in opposition to God and to his purpose for your life. Pride puts you in opposition to God and to his purpose for your life. Now, in the story that Jesus told, who's the person that has the pride problem? Yeah, it's a Pharisee. And a Pharisee was a respected religious leader, somebody who knew all of God's rules, 
somebody who appeared to follow all of God's rules and who looked down on those who didn't. But this Pharisee had a, a major problem. You see, he was blind to the fact that his proud heart had set him in opposition to God. Because this is what the Bible says, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Like the Pharisee, we can be blinded to our own pride. It's like the pastor who was talking to somebody in his church and said, you know what, I have got a phenomenal sermon on humility. I'm just, I'm just waiting for a big enough congregation to preach it to. Or the person that was a really successful salesman and he had this great opening line, he would say, hey, let me show you something that most of your friends said you couldn't afford. So many times our pride rises to the surface and we don't even know it. Now let me give you a helpful definition of pride. This is by author Christian, uh, Christian author Gary Collins. He says this, Pride is characterized by an exaggerated desire to win the notice or praise of others. It's an arrogant, haughty estimation of oneself in relation to others. It involves a taking of a superior position that largely disregards the concerns, opinions, and desires of other people. And catch this, in essence, it is an attempt to claim for oneself the glory that rightly belongs to God. See, when you're proud, you focus on yourself and not others. And this is not some insignificant character flaw. To God, pride is a really big deal because God says, I oppose those who are proud. And if that's not bad enough, here's another danger of pride. Pride sets you up for serious moral failure. Pride sets you up for serious moral failure. Look at this verse in the book of Proverbs. It says this, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When we read the story of Israel in the Old Testament, we see that, that sometimes God stepped in and humbled them because of their prideful attitude, because of their rebellion against God. Sometimes that was through famine. Sometimes they were conquered by invading armies. But what does that mean for us? Well, God can step into our lives. God can humble us. There's no doubt about that. But so often, what we experience are the natural consequences of our pride. For example, a couple is struggling in their marriage, and they're too proud to ask for help. And so their marriage continues to unravel. Or the business owner that needs to make a really important financial decision, but instead of asking for godly counsel, they just try to, to go it alone. And they make a decision that sinks their business. Or a person who has a, a friend and their friendship explodes and neither one of them has the humility to say, hey, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. And let me say this, I suspect that, that most, if not all of us, know somebody who because of pride has experienced a significant moral failure. And that failure doesn't just affect that person, it affects their family, it affects so many other people. During the last couple of years, God has given me the privilege of coaching some younger pastors. And as I talk with these guys about starting a church and, and serving their church family, we talk openly about the dangers of pride. And I tell them this, the most dangerous thing you can think is this, it can't happen to me. And let me say, if you're thinking that this morning, you're already in a dangerous position because given the right set of circumstances, any of us is capable of serious sin. And that's why you need a humble heart because a humble heart recognizes that fact. 
The person with a humble heart says, I need to protect myself from temptation. And there are a lot of ways to do that. You know, often as I talk with, with people about the issue of sexual sin, we talk about getting a filter on your computer, something that can keep you from looking at things that can trip you up and make you fall. One of the best strategies to guard your heart is to have people that you trust, people who can hold you accountable, people that know you and love you, people that can ask you the hard questions about your relationship with God, how you're spending God's money, how you're dealing with sexual temptation. God wants us to take the dangers of pride very seriously. And here's something else God wants us to take seriously. The benefits of humility. The benefits of humility. So what are they? Well, here's the first. Humility puts you in the path of God's grace. Humility puts you in the path of God's grace. Look at this verse again. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, here's a definition of humility by the same Christian author, Gary Collins. He writes this, Humility is characterized by an accurate self-appraisal, responsiveness to the opinions of others, and a willingness to give praise to others before claiming it for oneself. And he goes on and says this, The humble person accepts his or her own imperfections, sins, and failures, but also acknowledges the gifts, abilities, and achievements that come from God. And listen to this. Humility involves a grateful dependence on God and a realistic appraisal of both our strengths and our weaknesses. As I was working on the message this week, I was thinking about this fact, that in order to believe what this book says about us, we have to have a humble heart. Because think about it. The Bible says that there's something wrong with your heart and something wrong with my heart. We're, we're born with a heart defect and the defect is this, that our hearts pull us away from God, away from his plan, away from his purpose for our lives. And the Bible has a word for that. It's called sin. You see, God said, I want you to love me more than anything else. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And nobody does that perfectly. And because we are sinful and God is holy, we're separated from God. And because God is just, he has to judge every sin we've ever committed. And that just punishment is really serious. It's to die and to be separated from God forever. But here's the kicker when it comes to humility. You can't do anything to save yourself. Now, pride says, yes, I can. Yeah, I, I can do something. There must be something I can do to get myself out of this situation. Now, I'll tell you this. I like to solve problems. But I, I realized a long time ago that I've got two problems that are so huge, I can't solve them. I can't fix them. One is sin. And the second is the consequence of sin, which is death. I cannot rescue myself. And it takes humility to reach that conclusion. And you know, if you were to ask people, just you went to the mall, and you took a microphone, you're doing a, a person-on-the-spot interview, and you were to say, hey, quick question, how do you think somebody can be accepted by God? You know the number one response you would get? By being what kind of person? Yeah, being a good person. Doing good things. And the expectation is, you know, if you do more good things than bad things, and maybe, maybe at the end of your life, God will weigh the good against the bad, and somehow you'll be okay. You know what the problem with that thinking is? It's not true. Because think about this. You could be as good as Mother Teresa. She was pretty good, wasn't she? You could be as good as Billy Graham, and you still would not be accepted by God. Why? Because you are not what? Starts with the letter P. You're not perfect. And there's only one person who ever lived a perfect life. And who would that be? You should know the answer. It is Jesus. And this is the good news of the gospel, that God the Father, 
sends God the Son to earth in the person of Jesus. And Jesus did what no person has ever done. He lives a perfect life. And that uniquely qualifies him to exchange his life for your life and for my life. And friends, you've heard me say this many times. What happens on the cross is that God the Father is willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. But I want you to understand something as well. There is a double transaction that happens at the cross because when you trust Jesus, when you say, Lord, look, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to turn away from it. I believe you died and rose from the dead. I want to follow you. Your past is settled completely. But it even gets better because you get credit for the perfect life that Jesus lived. And that means, Christian, this morning, when God looks at you, he sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. When God looks at you, listen carefully, it's as if you have never sinned. And I've never gotten over that. That Jesus Christ gives us his perfect record. And that means that when you're a child of God, a son or a daughter, that you have absolutely nothing to prove because you're totally accepted by God. It means that you have nothing to hide because you're completely forgiven. It means that you have nothing to fear because you are eternally loved by your Father in heaven. Now, how do you get all these benefits? They come to you because of God's grace. And in order to put yourself in this, this pathway of grace, in order to stand under this waterfall of God's grace, what kind of heart does it take? A humble heart. So one of the incredible benefits of having a humble heart is that you're connected to God's grace. But here's something else. Humility also connects you to others through authentic relationships. Humility connects you to others. Look at this verse. From 1 Peter, finally, all of you, all of you, live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers and sisters, be compassionate, and notice this, be humble. Why? Because humble people are easily connected to each other. I was at the men's breakfast a few weeks ago, and we were finishing a series that we've been going through. It's called A Man and His Traps. And we've been talking about the things that, that men struggle with, and during that Saturday morning, one of the guys was talking about a particular struggle in his life. And at our table, one of the guys said this, I am so glad that you shared that because I thought I was the only one. Friends, listen, pride builds walls, but humility builds bridges. And think about this. What kind of person is it easy to connect with? What kind of person are you even attracted to? Is it the person who tries to hide all of their faults and flaws and failures, somebody who only wants you to see what's right with their life, or the person who's honest and says, hey, you know, I, I'm not perfect, and I struggle with all these things, and sometimes I fall down, but I get up and I keep trying to follow Jesus. Which of those two people are you most easily connected to, and which do you really want a connection with? And I think the answer is pretty obvious. And that's the story that Jesus was telling. There is this, this Pharisee who's really just praying about himself. And there is this, this tax collector who's pouring out his heart to God. And Jesus says, I'll tell you which one went home justified. The one that went home right in God's sight. It was not the Pharisee. It was the man who had a humble heart. And so, if we want to have a humble heart, how do we do that? That's a question on your outline. How can you become a more humble person? And here's the first way to do that. Remember that everything you have and everything you are comes from God. Everything you have and everything you are comes from God. The Bible says this, every, 
Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Here's the difference between the proud person and the humble person. The proud person takes the credit for who they are, what they have, and what they've achieved. The humble person, on the other hand, gives God the credit for who they are, what they have, and what they've achieved. It's like the story about a frog. Now, I, I tried to tell this story first service, and I don't know if they weren't awake, but they just kind of didn't get it. So I'm hoping that it works a little better this time. All right, so, so here's the story. There's this frog, and he lives in the swamp, and he is just tired of living in the swamp, and the swamp is so huge you can't hop out of it. So he's getting really depressed, and then one day, these two large birds land right next to him in the swamp. And he looks over, and he sees this big tree branch, and he has this brilliant idea. He talks the birds into holding this branch in their beaks, and then he grabs the branch in the middle with his own mouth, and then he tells the birds to fly. And remarkably, they do. And so they take off and lift the, the frog out of the swamp, and he is exhilarated, and he's flying through the air, and they're going across the countryside, and this, this man looks up, and he can't believe what he's seeing, and he says, man, that is something. I wonder what brilliant individual thought of that. And without even thinking, the frog said, I did. So you guys got it. Okay, there you go. And what's the deal? You know, sometimes we just want to take the credit. And we do. But church realized this, that one of the ways to grow in humility is to continually give God the credit for everything. Because think about this. If you're smart, who made you smart? God did. If you have musical ability, where did that come from? It came from God. If you have financial resources, if you have friends, if you have a degree of help, whatever you have came from God. So thank him for it. And that gives you a more humble heart. And don't just thank God for all that he's given you. Say, God, what do you want me to do with all this to extend your kingdom? Because that's what you do when you have a humble heart. Well, here's another way to grow in humility. Remember how much you need Jesus. Remember how much you need Jesus. I was at the, the Palm Beach Zoo one time with my family, and we were walking around, and I see this, this guy, and he has his T-shirt, and I, I noticed the writing on the T-shirt, and the guy that was wearing the shirt was a bodybuilder. He was huge. And on the front of the shirt, it said this, much prayer, much power, little prayer, little power, no prayer, no power. And I'm thinking about this guy. I mean, he is so physically fit and strong. I'm thinking, now this guy is reminding himself that he's not as strong as he thinks he is. That he needs the power of God in his life, a power access through prayer. And I was thinking about this. How can you tell if you have pride in your heart? Because it's hard to spot sometimes. It can be pretty subtle. And for me, this is a question I always ask myself. What's your prayer life look like? Because church, here's the reality. The degree to which you pray is the degree to which you are depending on God. I th think about that. I mean, is it, is it true in your life that you can go through a whole day and not pray? or Several days or a week or longer? Because if that's the case, who are you depending on? Depending on yourself. And God says, depend on me. And that, listen, that t-shirt is spot on. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. 
And Jesus, Jesus is the one who really taught us this. Look at these words from Jesus. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now here's the flip side. A verse written by the Apostle Paul, a follower of Jesus in the first century, and he said this, I can do how much? All things. Everything God calls me to do, I'm able to do it through Christ who gives me strength. We sang a song this morning that I just, I, I love the lyrics. It's called, I need you. Lord, I need you every hour I need you my one defense my righteousness oh Lord how I need you and listen when life is really hard God is giving you an opportunity to grow in humility to hit your knees and say God I need you I'm depending on you to get me through this because here's the deal remember the verse God opposes the proud but gives what to the humble what does he give his grace and listen God doesn't give you grace in advance you can't stockpile grace. There's no grace bank account that you can just go and draw on. God says, I'm going to give you grace for the moment. And I believe there's a reason for that, so that we will stay dependent on God as we go through life. So quick review in order to become a more humble person. Number one, remember that everything comes from, from God. Remember how much you need Jesus. You can say it out loud. Remember how much you need Jesus. And here's number three, remember how much you need others in your church family. Remember how much you need others in your church family. Let me ask you this, which is easier for you? You don't have to raise your hand, but which is easier for you? To go and help somebody or to ask somebody to help you? Okay, you don't have, some of you are answering out loud. I love the honesty of our church. When I was a kid growing up, I was in elementary school, I learned early on that I needed to take care of myself. My mom developed a, a serious addiction to alcohol and prescription drugs, and she died when I was a teenager. And as I was growing up, I developed this fiercely independent attitude. And at the age of 17, I left home, and I was essentially on my own. And I knew that if anybody was going to take care of me, it was going to be me. And then something changed. Decided to follow Jesus. And during my adventure of walking with Jesus, he has been working to deconstruct my pride and to show me that I really need other people in my life. And I was reminded of that last Sunday. Um, we have a meeting with the worship team before the service. And we go over all the details, and then we pray. And last Sunday, I was not feeling well at all. Now, years ago, if I wasn't feeling well, I wouldn't tell anybody. I would just kind of push through it and think, I can handle this. <laughs> I'm strong, I'm tough. But I didn't do that. I said, hey, um, I'm not feeling well at all. Would you please pray for me? And, and it was really remarkable. I mean, the worship team responded. They, they came and they actually put their hands on me and, and prayed for me, and I was so encouraged. And after they finished praying, it was almost like Jesus was tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, that's good. You're making progress. You're realizing that you really do need other people in your life. And you know, I think about the way that the church is described in the Bible. There's a metaphor. It's called the body of Christ. And, and that's for a reason. Because the parts of the body need each other. I was thinking about this. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night hungry? Does that ever happen? 
Am I the only one? Happened to me last night. Now imagine the conversation, the, this hypothetical conversation taking place between the parts of your body. The, the stomach wakes up the brain, says, brain, wake up, man, I'm hungry. Get me some food. And the brain says, would you shut up? The whole body's sleeping. You're going to wake everybody up. And the stomach says, listen, if you don't, if you don't do something about this, I'm going to keep the body up all night long. So the brain says, all right, feet, get this body out of bed. And so that's what happens. The whole body has to get up. And then your legs take you into the kitchen, and then you stand in front of the refrigerator, and your arm and your hand open the door, and your eye looks in to see what you can eat, and your nose smells it to see if it's still good. <laughs> and then into your mouth it goes, and now the stomach is happy, and the whole body can go back to bed. Check out this verse, because that concept is right in the Bible. As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Friends, listen, we really need each other. And God never, ever intended for us to go through life alone. If you want to grow in humility, I encourage you to do this. Ask others for help. Ask others to pray for you. And you know, there are a couple of practical ways you can do that. Every Sunday morning, there is this card in your bulletin. Pastor Phil talks about it. Sometimes I talk about it. The next step card, you can write down prayer requests. And many of you do. And people pray for you. Or you can do this. You can go to the cross after the service. And people will meet you there and pray with you. Now, remember the verse, God opposes the proud but gives what to the humble? Grace. And listen, that grace from God flows through other people so often to you people that care about you, and people that will pray with you and for you. That's how you so often receive the grace of God. Well, here's the final way to become a more humble person. Be on the lookout for ways to encourage and serve others. Be on the lookout for ways to encourage and serve others. Look at these Bible verses from Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Now, do you know what the letters B-O-L-O -O stand for, BOLO? Be on the lookout. Be on the lookout. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Be on the lookout for ways to encourage other people and to serve them, to meet their needs. And here's why that's so important, because often as we go through our day, we are wearing blinders. We're walking past people, even in our own family, where we could speak a word of encouragement, but we're not even thinking about them. Who are we thinking about? Us. Now let me give you a perfect example of this. And since you're being so honest, I'm going to ask you to be honest again. Let's say that I go to my backpack and I take my iPhone and I snap a photograph of you where you're sitting, all the people around you. And then I give it to Bruce and he puts it up on the big screen. When that picture goes up, whose face do you look for first? Seriously. Whose face do you look for first? Probably your own. Unless you're just really spiritual. <laughs> but here's, here's something to consider as well. What determines if that's a good picture? What determines if that's a good picture? Tell me. It's how who looks. It's how 
You look, right? Because if your eyes are closed, you're having a bad hair day, that's a terrible picture. Everybody else looks great, but not me. So let's take it again. Friends, in order to become a more humble person, in order to become more like Jesus, we have to shift the focus away from ourselves to others and be concerned about their needs. I mean, it's clear. We have to be concerned about our own needs and take care of ourselves so that we're able to care for others. But Jesus came to this world, and these are his words, not to be served, but to serve. Now listen, it's really important to grow in humility as individuals. But imagine this. Imagine an entire church that was growing in humility. Imagine a church filled with people who are on the lookout for ways to encourage one another, ways to serve one another. Think about the kind of impact that a church like that could make. And let me say this, church family, I see that happening all the time. I really do. I see people encouraging one another and praying for one another and carrying each other's burdens, and I'm so encouraged by that. And you know what? That makes God smile. And this is what I pray, that we as a church family will take the teaching of Jesus about pride and humility and put it into practice. And here's a reason. So that lives will be profoundly changed in our church, in our community, and even around the world as people understand what it means to follow Jesus. As people understand that when you become a child of God, you really do have nothing to prove because you're totally accepted. You have nothing to hide because you're completely forgiven. And you have nothing to fear in this life because you are eternally loved by your Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us that much. Thank you that because you love us, you tell us the truth about our hearts. And God, I pray this, help us to grow in humility. Help us to become like Jesus. God, we thank you for our Savior. We thank you for his, his service, his sacrifice. And God, I just want to do this as well. I want to give an opportunity for someone who maybe today has realized that they've never made that choice to follow Jesus. Because, Father, I know that right here, right now, they can just, in their own words, say this to you. God, I need you. I really need you. I've, I've sinned, God. I've failed in so many ways. And I'm sorry. And I want to turn away from, from my, my disobedience. And, and I believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sins and rose from the dead. And I want to follow him. And God, whenever someone prays that prayer and, and it comes from their heart, God, you run to rescue them. Because you've done that for me, you've done that for so many others. And God, I just thank you for the power of the gospel, for the complete rescue of everyone who believes. And so, Lord, this morning I pray this, that instead of putting ourselves first, that we will simply do this, put you first. That we will seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness because you promise that, that if we do that, you're going to provide everything necessary to accomplish your purpose for our lives. And we pray this now in the strong name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.